together as a family, as a body, in your presence. We are so grateful for this opportunity. And I pray that more than anything else, as we gather in these times, as we open your word, as we speak, as we fellowship together, that we would recognize that Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, is the one alone who must be worshipped, who must be honored, who must be glorified, who must be listened to. He is our source of truth, of life, of strength, of wisdom, of power. Everything that we have is because of who he is and what he has done. And we want to glorify him here this morning. Father, may these words that are read and spoken be yours. Strip away everything that is not you. And may we hear you with clarity this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. You can have a seat. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there are a lot of great drivers out there. I'm sure that has been your experience as it has been mine. If you don't believe that there are a lot of great drivers out there, just ask them. That's what AAA did. AAA did a survey in 2017 and found that 83% of drivers said that they were much more careful than the other people that they were driving with. Now, if you go to the age 16 to 18 bracket, that number shoots up to 98%. 98% of 16 to 18-year-olds believe that they are more careful than the other drivers out there on the road. Now, That's also the same group who 33% of them admitted that they texted while they drive, and 50% of them admit that they drive 15 miles or more over the speed limit, miles an hour or more over the speed limit. Arrogance in this world is at an all-time high. If you are paying attention at all, there are a lot of voices out there shouting a lot of instructions. People from everywhere are telling us how to think, how to speak, and how to act. Uh, I did not realize until Tuesday or Wednesday, but I missed the Golden Globes award ceremony last weekend. I I don't know (laughs) how many of you did too. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) okay. Okay. Actually, most of the country missed it. There were record low ratings. And, uh, but I was made aware of a, a little video clip that surfaced as a result. Of course, it was all done online. It was all remote. It was all, you know, everything that we've been doing for the last year. But uh, an actor by the name of Mark Ruffalo, you may know him if you've watched the recent Marvel movies. He played the Incredible Hulk, so... He's a man who has made his living playing a superhero, and he won an award for a TV movie, and he took the opportunity to go on a little bit of a rant about everything. You can Google it if, you, if you're interested in hearing the whole thing, but just the end of it, somebody made me aware of the clip, and I, I listened to it, and I just let me just read the last two sentences of what he said. He said, the good news 
is inclusion and justice and care for Mother Earth is breaking out everywhere. The godly light of decency is breaking through the hideous dark storm we've been living through. And this is the last sentence. This is the one that really grabbed me. He concluded by saying, we are the ones we've been waiting for. (laughs) Celebrities have all the answers, apparently. For a better world, a world of fairness and equity and justice. Those are the voices that we're hearing in our culture today. Now, as God has been doing for almost a year now, he has been bringing us every week to these passages as we are working our way through the Old Testament here and giving us the perfect passage for us to look at in our whole story series. We're in the book of Micah this morning, And as it turns out, Micah prophesied in a very arrogant world. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tim mentioned that the nation of Israel had been divided into two kingdoms, 12 tribes, 12 families, divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. Judah was made up of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And when Micah was prophesying, Judah, the southern kingdom, was enjoying great prosperity, wealth and power and influence and global, or the then known world, global impact that they had not seen since King Solomon's time. When Solomon was the king, Israel was the most powerful nation on earth. They were the wealthiest. They were the strongest. They were the most influential. They were the most important. And as you've seen, if you've been with us the last several months, Israel's wealth, their prosperity, their influence, their power, their impact has plummeted as they have turned away from God. But there was a rejuvenation They were coming back to prominence. Unfortunately, Micah's message to them was that they were headed for a crash. They were headed for judgment. Because here's what was happening. They had been outwardly obedient to God. They actually had a couple of kings in a row who were serving God, who were teaching them the truth, who were leading them in a God-honoring manner. They were giving their offerings. They were making all their sacrifices. It looked like they were following all of God's commands, but God knew their hearts, just as he knows ours. We can give our offerings. We can make our sacrifices, but our hearts can be far from him. And my friends, this morning, I want you to see that there is a message for us today in the book of Micah. And it is this, that God calls us to inward reality, not simply outward obedience. Obedience is critical for sure, but the heart comes first. It's not enough to do, we must be. And so we're going to jump into the book of Micah. We're going to read three verses this morning in Micah chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me there. Micah chapter 6, verse 6, 
says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Now, obviously, we're jumping into the middle. We don't have time to read all of Micah's message. But Micah has pronounced judgment. So you have this, this country that looks like it has it all together. Everything looks good. And Micah comes in and he says, <laughs> judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. Because you're not following God with your heart. And so Micah is writing here and he is writing with the voice of Judah. And Judah responds by saying, okay, God, what do you want? You're not happy with what's going on? What do you want? You want sacrifice? You want worship? It's an arrogant response. It's facetious. It's sarcastic. And we have a tendency to do the same. Hey, I'm doing my best here, God. Know what you're looking for? Look at verse 7. Micah continues in the voice of Judah. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? What do you want, God? What do you want, a million bucks? What do you want, ten million bucks? What do you want, my firstborn child? Again, exaggeration, arrogance, sarcasm. God just wants more and more. He wants way too much. God expects way more of me than I could possibly do. As we look at this passage, and we understand what's going on, I see us. <laughs> because I think this is a defense mechanism that we use to soothe our consciences that we cannot possibly please God. You see, we as human beings have an incredible ability to rationalize. You know what it means to rationalize, right? It means to do something and then let your mind work out how you can feel good about what you're doing even when you shouldn't feel good about what you're doing. That's rationalizing. And we do it all the time. God expects too much. He demands too much. I can't do it. God is crazy if he thinks that I can do this. No way. But in the next verse, Micah says, listen, the reality is something far different. God has made very clear what he wants. He does not leave it to our imagination. He lays it out for us perfectly in verse 8. He has told you, oh man, now Micah has switched back from speaking for Judah to speaking to Judah. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? I don't remember the first time that I read this verse or I 
read it with any kind of understanding. I don't remember how long ago that was. But I do know that when I had that moment, I was like, wow. It's like the whole rest of Scripture is explaining this verse. What does God require of you, O man, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? First of all, I want you to just pay attention a little bit to the wording here. Because we have a very important juxtaposition of the word human and the word Yahweh. That's what the word man is that's translated in verse 8. What does God, what has he told you, O man? That word is really human. Listen, human. What has Yahweh told you? What Micah is doing here for Judah and the Holy Spirit is doing for us is he is reminding us of the creature-creator relationship that needs to be restored. Now listen, I need to give a little disclaimer. I do not know Mark Ruffalo. I don't really know what kind of a person he is. I don't know what goes through his mind and head. I don't know what his relationship with God is. I have no idea. But the problem I have with his statement is when he says things like, we are the ones we've been waiting for. Because you know what that says to me? It says to me, we'll fix this. We'll do it. And Micah says, listen, human, Yahweh makes the rules. The word Yahweh we have looked at before. We looked at it extensively way back when we looked at the book of Exodus. The self-existent one, the creator, Yahweh, decides and tells you what is good. The word good literally means beautiful. And the other time that you have read the word good when you've been reading your Bible is in Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating the earth. And it says he created the sun and the moon and the stars. And he looked at it and it was what? Good. And he created the plants and the trees and the birds and the fish. And it was good. And he created all the animals. And it was good. And he created men and women in his image. And it was good. That's the word. God decides what is good. God decides what is literally here, actually, beautiful. I want oak trees to grow. I want maple trees to grow. It's beautiful. It's what I want. It's what I have determined is best. I want animals to walk this earth. That is what is good and beautiful and best. I want men and women to walk this earth. That's what's good and beautiful and best. I want them to come together and multiply and have families. That is what is good. Same word. So what are the three things that he says are good and beautiful? Well, the first one is do justice. 
this is a very popular topic today. Justice. There's a lot of people using that word today. <laughs> I was listening to a message. I don't know if some of you are familiar with this gentleman or not, but Vodi Bakum, who was a teacher and author, speaker, and he was saying, I do not think people know what this word means when they use it. There's a lot of people talking about justice today. There's a lot of people in the church saying that the church should be about seeking justice. And that is true. But biblical justice is not social justice. And I think it's important that we define these terms a little bit here. Social justice, as defined by our culture and community, this is not my definition, this is the definition of our world. Social justice is distributive justice. That is, the state redistributes wealth and opportunities and privileges to certain groups. That's social justice in our world today. Now, two things I want you to note about that definition, and I'm sure you've heard people talking about it and maybe had conversations with people about it that you live with and work with, but there's two things with that definition that we need to be mindful of. First of all, social justice is government or state sponsor. That is, it's law. It's mandated. It's demanded. It's forced. Also, you need to be mindful of the fact that it is done on the basis of groups, not individuals. Social justice is not concerned with individual people. Social justice is concerned with groups of people. This is what must be done for this group or that group. This is differentiated from biblical justice. Biblical justice is a heart issue. Let me explain what I mean by that. Biblical justice is God's justice. It's right and wrong. See, this is how it works when you are a creature and you live in a world made by a creator. The creator determines right and wrong. God is the creator of this world. So when he says to do this, and I do that, it's sin. I have a heart issue. And I have acted unjustly. Because biblical justice, God's justice, is right and wrong. It's God's law that I've violated, therefore it is between me and God. As an individual, I stand alone before God and I answer for my unjust actions. I answer for the times in my life when God has told me to do this, he's made it clear to me to do this, and I have decided to do that. I answer for that before God. That's biblical justice. 
Proverbs 28, verse 5 says this. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. That's quite a statement, isn't it? Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Please note in that verse that it is when we seek again, Lord, Yahweh, same verse, same word rather, as in Micah 6, 8, that it is when we seek Yahweh, the creator of the universe, that we find justice, not some subjective sense of morality or piety or reason. We don't find justice somewhere in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. We find justice in God. Those who seek Yahweh understand it completely. Wow. Completely? I feel like I have an idea of what biblical justice is, but I don't know about you. I don't feel like I understand it completely. Quoting author Bryce Young, author and pastor and teacher, he says it this way, even when I know what true justice requires, I feel vividly how my heart tends to ricochet off justice toward comfort or self-protection or indifference. Yes, <laughs> agreed. When we seek God, we have the possibility, we have the opportunity, we have the privilege of understanding justice completely, but our human hearts, of course, get in the way, don't they? And we have opportunities to stand for true justice. Sometimes we rather seek comfort <laughs> or would rather protect ourselves. Friends, let me say this right now because I know this is a very raw topic in our country. Please understand me. We do not understand true justice because we're smarter or we're wiser or we're holier than anybody else. Justice is God's. So when we seek God, we find justice. When we understand God and God-centered justice, then we understand three things that I want to just draw your attention to in the next couple of minutes. First of all, we understand sin. My sin. Your sin. Personal sin. This world is full of sinners. Did you know that? This room is full of sinners. In Romans chapter 3, Paul says, There are none righteous, no, not one. Do you know how we could translate that word righteous? Just. 
What is Paul saying? He's saying there are none just, no, not one. There are none that understand. There are none that seek after God. And when I come to understand God, when I seek God, and I seek God-centered justice, I begin to understand my sin. And I cannot ask God, it is arrogant of me to ask God to bring partial justice to this world. Let me explain what I mean by that. God's justice is not piecemeal. I just finished teaching uh, my Theology 101 class to a group of 16 high school students. Some of those distinguished young people are here today. I've got to mark their exams this afternoon when I go home. We'll see if they actually remembered or heard or learned anything. I'll let you know how it goes. One of the things we talked about was the character of God. And we were talking about the characteristics of God. I told them we're going to call them God's perfections, not his characteristics. Why? Because he is all of these things all of the time. He is perfectly these things. And one of the things we talked about was that God is just. And so it is arrogant of me, it is hypocritical of me to say, oh God, Bring justice to the abused. Bring justice to the disenfranchised. But don't look at my soul. When we seek God's justice, that includes his justice in every life. That includes justice in my heart and in your heart. We understand God-centered justice. We understand sin. Secondly, we understand Jesus alone brings justice. We understand justice because we know the one who brings it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says in verse 21, that the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, who is perfectly just, took my sin so that I could be what? Justified. Justified. I don't know if you ever thought about this or not with all of this talk of justice going on in the world, but when we talk about our salvation, often we say we are what? Justified. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about God's justice. That is the justice of God. Sin dealt with Sin paid for, restitution made with the justice of God. Friends, laws don't bring justice. Mandates don't accomplish justice. Social pressure doesn't bring justice. Only Jesus brings justice. We understand sin. We understand Jesus alone brings justice. And here's the third one. We understand that we are free to seek real, true justice. True justice is upholding the glory of God in the face of sin. That's justice. That's the justice that the Bible talks about. 
What's happening in our world today, folks, is not justice. I'm not trying to be political. This isn't political, folks. This is moral. This is biblical. This is about our faith. By the way, you and I better be ready to stand for our faith and what we believe in because it's about to get steamrolled if something doesn't change. So you better decide if you're going to stand or not. This is not justice. When we ban children's books that have been read for 75 years, but we promote a song of the year whose title is so vile, I will not even speak it, and I'm not kidding. That's not justice. Justice is upholding the glory of God in the face of sin. Social justice is not the gospel. And my friends, social justice is not the aim of the gospel. The aim of the gospel is the satisfaction of God's justice through Jesus Christ that results in the forgiveness of sins for those who trust Jesus. That's the aim of the gospel. People like me and people like you. Now listen to me. Get the whole picture here this morning. Don't just grab a piece of it. Listen. I want justice for the abused. I want justice for the disenfranchised. I want justice for the unborn. I want justice for the human traffickers. But the only the justified can ask for true justice without hypocrisy. God knows my sin. I've been honest about it with him. And I have experienced the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. And doing justice starts by dealing with my heart issues, my sin. Instead of just pointing at other people's perceived sin, it starts with mine. My sin is an individual against God. And then I can seek that same justice for others. But justice cannot be mandated. And it cannot be distributed en masse. What does God say is good? What does God say is right and beautiful? Well, do justice. That's number one. Number two, love kindness. Your Bible may say love mercy, depending on the translation. The word means kindness, goodness, mercy. To love kindness means to express patience and kindness and generosity to the needy. It means giving comfort and help to the miserable. As Christ followers, we love kindness because we have received kindness. As Christ followers, we love kindness because we love people. We care about people. I don't want you to misconstrue anything that I'm saying here this morning as I help you to understand the difference between what's going on in our world and what God says is truly justice, what God says is truly right. That doesn't mean I don't care about those people that are espousing these things. I do. 
We love kindness because we love people, and we love people because Christ loves people, and we love Christ. And because we understand that true justice only comes to individuals through Jesus Christ, then we must show mercy and generosity to others so that they can see Christ. My kindness, my mercy, my comfort is not perfect. But my prayer is, and my prayer for our church, is that people will see enough of our kindness that they will in turn see the perfect kindness and perfect mercy and perfect grace of Jesus Christ and experience true justice. That's what the church has to be doing. That's what we have to do. There's a lot of talk in our world today about what it means to love your neighbor and what you should do or not do if you really love your neighbor. I want people to see our church giving people firewood and taking them groceries and wrapping our arms around them and crying with them when they find out their loved one is dying and coming alongside them and caring, with them, caring for them and lifting them up when they're hurting and when they're struggling and when they're broken. That's what I want people to see us doing. That's how we show others that we love kindness. Number three, walk humbly with your God. This is so important. This is why I asked Curtis to read those verses for us from James 4. We only know justice because we know God. And we've experienced true justice through Jesus Christ. And we only know kindness because we've experienced kindness through Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.5, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. That's why I said a few minutes ago, we don't understand true justice because we're smarter or wiser or holier. This is only because of God. Friends, listen to me. We need to shake off the arrogance of self-sufficiency. It is arrogant of us to think that we are going to fix this world. And we need to resist the charlatans who claim to have all of the answers. And we need to fall on our faces before God in humility because we can do nothing apart from him. We don't do it so much in our culture anymore, but when was the last time you fell on your face before God and wept and said, God, I can't do this. This is not about me. This is about you. My friends, God is calling you to inward reality, not simply outward obedience. How's your heart? Don't tell me how often you come to church. Why do you come to church? Don't tell me what you do, the sacrifices that you make. 
Tell me why you make them. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the springs of life. What are you feeding your heart? You know, your physical heart, I'm no doctor, but I do understand that your physical heart will starve without oxygen. Your spiritual heart will starve without the pure oxygen of the truth of God's word. Thomas Cranmer, who was a 16th century pastor and theologian, said this, What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. What the heart desires, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. You probably like to think that you make all of your decisions based on the facts and based on reason. The reality is you're just like me. You use your mind to justify what your heart wants. And that's okay if your heart is healthy. I hear people say all the time, well, I'm just following my conscience. I'm just following my heart. That's okay if your conscience is healthy. (laughs) That's okay if your heart is in a good place before God. But the question is, what are you feeding it? You better be feeding your heart the truth. Turn off the TV, get off Facebook, put down your phone and pick up your Bible and feed your heart something that it can chew on and be strengthened by. Because true justice can't be forced, it can't be mandated or legislated. My friends, if you have not learned this already, open your eyes. The government certainly has no idea what it is. Justice comes from a transformed heart as a result of the power of the gospel. And so we proclaim the gospel here today. We're going to celebrate communion, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, who was very God, came to this earth, took on a human body, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, and three days later rose in power from the grave and lives today at the right hand of God, and he's praying for you because he wants to do justice in your heart so that you in turn can can bring justice to this world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray. The band is going to lead us in a song, and then I'll invite you to take communion with us this morning. After I pray, I'd encourage you to ask the Lord to be at work in your heart about the things that we've talked about this morning. After you've eaten the bread and drunk the juice, I'd invite you to stand with us and join as we sing this song today. Father, thank you for drawing our minds and our hearts and our attention to this crucial passage of Scripture. Lord, would you just help us this morning to understand justice first of all in our hearts so that we might bring it to the world through Jesus Christ to love kindness, and to walk humbly before you. We thank you for Jesus Christ, his wonderful sacrifice on our behalf. And we ask this morning as we celebrate communion together that you would remind us of that sacrifice and point our minds ahead toward the hope of his soon return.
in Christ's name. Amen. And love kindly, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God because he's changed our hearts. And because we're feeding our hearts the truth, we need to proclaim the liberating, justifying power of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the free market of ideas of this world. Because this alone will change people's lives. Jesus alone changes lives. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6? When he prayed, when he taught us how to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's justice. Father, we humbly bow ourselves before you this morning. There is nothing in ourselves that would appeal to you. There is nothing that we bring that changes this world. Only the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would do justice, love kindness, as we walk humbly with you, our God, the creator of this world. Give us strength as we walk out into this world. Not all want to hear that message, but give us the courage to live what we know to be true. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, folks. Have a great week.